This week's episode of Aussie Tech Ed is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco. And keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. Startnewcompany.com.au. Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 674 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 23rd of April, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How goes it? Good. How's things over there? Bloody hot. Over there. There he is. Hot. It's a Um, bit cool here. Well, we're getting down to six and seven degrees of a night, but then we're getting up to 32 of a day. (laughs) (laughs) We might right. make 29, <laughs> I think, on the weekend, but at the moment it's like 12 at night. That's just ridiculous. That's, I got uh, my weeded jammies on. Not right now. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I've got tracksuit <laughs> pants on. That's a good thing about doing video conferencing. Nobody knows. I'm wearing a suit from here down. As long as you don't stand Beans. up in the middle of the conference. Do you see the one on uh, on Facebook where they're having a, like, I don't know what it is, a Women's. Team meeting. It's, it was it was all women, so it was some something to do with a whole heap of women. But they're having a meeting. One of the chicks just picked up a phone and she's wandering through a house and she's got a drink and she's grabbed something. The next thing you know, she goes into the bathroom and she sits the phone down on the floor and she sits down. Yeah, the on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I saw another one where they they said they were finishing up. And this guy's like, "All right, see you later," and he just walks away from his computer yeah. and he goes across there and he's like looking at this thing and he's walking over here he's like yeah and eventually one of the girls rings him and he's like oh hello <laughs> oh crap and he runs across and turns it off uh, it's like that guy I was watching a fraud guy on youtube yeah he um oh sorry on twitch he used to have a wheelchair and everyone used to make up the stories how he's disabled and whatever and people used to feel sorry for him so they don't have any money and stuff like that and uh, in the middle of a stream one day, something, I don't know what happened. He, whatever, he spilled hot coffee on his lap or something. And next thing you know, he jumps up and runs off. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. There uh, goes your claim, son. So, the investigators will find that one. I reckon. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, other than being the weather being absolutely stupid lately, um, not too bad, not too bad. I've been, uh, I gave up on my VZ developing because didn't seem anyone was interested. So I'm doing, I switched my game over to Spectrum now. Well, I mean, you are picking an industry that has like 12 active members. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Well, it was really huge in the UK now with the Spectrum Next has just come out. Everyone's looking for all the games and suddenly really, really popular again. So I thought, oh, give it that one a go. Yeah, oh so I've yeah. But um, I've finally today my um that over voltage cable finally arrived for the Commodore sixty four power supply. So oh, I'm yeah. happy about that. And then um, I got my Raspberry Pi. I thought I'll put um, Fuse on there, just like the free Unix Spectrum emulator. Yeah, you can run on Windows, Mac, Pocket PC, just about everything. But um, I thought I'll set up um, Raspberry Pi with Raspbian version of Debian on it. Yep. 
And so I went out and got one of those little micro SD cards from Officeworks for nine bucks, 16 gigs. And I put that in and I was like, oh, how, I, how do I install it these days? You go to the uh, Raspberry Pi website and download a little installer program. Yeah. And you it, you run it and it goes, which Raspberry Pi uh, operating system do you want to install? And you just pick it and it gives you a list of all of them and you can pick all other and pick an image that you've downloaded from somewhere else. And then you like select your USB port for your SD card and you click that. And then you hit install and then you just sit there, it downloads the whole software, writes it to disk, finishes off and then tells you when it's done. You don't have to do anything. It's fantastic. There's none of this remembering, how do I do DD install and download this and extra drivers and extra programs to format it the right way and all this sort of crap. You just install this one little program. It does a whole lot from a guilt. It's yeah. fantastic. I've still got the original Raspberry Pi. I've got a 0W running my... Uh, Octoprint from a printer, but yep. yeah, same thing. Like I just have the SD card, and I've got about a dozen different SD cards, and just depending on what I want to do, I just throw a different SD card in it, and yeah, you know, it's good to go. Um, I had a um, SD card I've got for the Commodore sixty four SD reader, so I put all my games on there. I've got one for the VZ that has to be a particular format with no partitions or anything, and then this one. So I've got three of the things now, and I've had a f- couple of them for a while, but not really any use for them now i've got it running all my old computer stuff on there so i got the raspberry pi raspbian started up and you boot up to it and it's everything's like a simple windows install it's like select your country and everything in the gui that comes up in the the desktop just like doing it with windows and what country are you in what what's your keyboard is the us one tick the box and you hit go and then it says oh change your default password for the Pi account. So you type a new one for there, like your admin for Windows. Does all that for you. And then it says, uh, looking for any Wi-Fi access points around, gives you a list of them. You click on what you want, type in your password, hit go. It says, okay, I've connected. Now I'm going to uh, check if there's any software updates for the Raspbian and all the applications on there. So you hit go and it just connects to the website, gets a list of all the latest versions of everything, compares it to what it's got, downloads new updates. You say if you want, you can restart and apply the new updates or do it later. And everything's just so simple and easy. It's fantastic. Mm. A lot of the the, the the single ones are getting that way. You know, like I've got um, another one up here that's the same sort of thing. Like it's a single onboard chip thing and it's you've got multiple libraries and you haven't even got it's got a bootloader in it so you don't even have to put an sd card in it you can literally use the bootloader connect to your lan it'll have yep. it's got a basic ftp interface and you can ftp the file directly to it through it so you don't it's even yeah, I didn't realize how great. simple things are and that's not even there's a version of raspbian that you can put on there called noobs which has got everything down mm. to the simplest, simplest. This was just the normal uh, Raspbian version of Debian. And, um, yeah, it's fantastic. So then I just have to install the Fuse emulator and get it to auto-boot to that, and I can start playing Spectrum games on there. I thought I was going to try and buy one. And even the the lowest, um, lowest spec Spectrums are like $150. And then it's $150 to post it to Australia. So I was like, there's $300. That's where they start at. Then they yeah, go up to yeah. like two, $2, plus $150 postage. And then you have to wait weeks for it and hope it doesn't bring a virus with it or anything. Or you can just pay $9 and connect it to your Raspberry Pi with the memory card and off you go. Let's see. It. And I mean, I've got an old uh, laptop. I mean, it's not that old. It's a Core 2 Duo. That's so not horrible. But running any version of Windows that won't play YouTube video these days. And yep. <laughs> um, there's a there's a Linux I've just um, bought out for it, um, and it it runs no problem on that. It runs YouTube videos. It runs the CNC emulator for CNC machines and stuff. So it's really good um, low end PC performance. Yeah. So it gives lot gives back life to those old systems. Um, need to say hi to the guys in chat. We've got quite a few people going on tonight too. We've got Osmo, we've got Matthew, we've got Brett, we've got Michael, we've got Pete. Um, there's a couple others in there I think I've missed too. But um, 
yeah, it's all, all happening in the uh, in the chat room. Guys who are saying about buffering, um, the stream seems to be okay, so that's probably an internet thing somewhere downstream. Maybe just try a refresh, see if that helps. If that doesn't help, not really sure what to do there. Um, and I have a question from Pete in uh, chat. He says, what about the Commodore X16? Are you following? Commodore X16, is that a new one? There's a bunch of them coming um, Yeah, no, that's the problem. It's a matter of remembering what you've looked at, isn't it? Commodore X16, let me see here. Well, there's the Mega, there's the Ultra, there's the X16, let's see. Um, well, that one's coming up. This is the uh, over-voltage thing that I got in the end. Show it to the camera there. You just plug in your power supply into there, and that one goes into your computer, and it's got a light on there if it's active, and cleans, away yeah, you go. Cleans the power up. It's from um, Melbourne Console Repros, Reproductions. Yeah. Um, the uh, oh, the Apex guy. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I, was, I was about to say is that the Apex guy one. I haven't really followed per se. I have sort of seen um, bits of people on it, but yeah, he basically. Um, Oh, he's a guy that's got a um, YouTube channel, isn't he? He's got a YouTube guy. channel, yeah. He does a lot of really cool um, older tech stuff. Um, 512K high RAM. So, it's got 65CO2 CPU at 8 megahertz, 40KB of main RAM, 512KB or 2 meg of bank RAM, 128KB of bank ROM. Vero video controller, 16-bit class, 128KB of external video RAM. 640 by 480 pixels, 256 colors out of 4096. But the, the problem that I didn't want to get one of these things in the Mega and the Ultra is besides My waiting best. for them to come out, which might take several months before they even start producing them, is that it's not the actual machine that's got... I don't want an that expanded one. It's like um, I was helping the guys convert, uh, port the um, multi-platform arcade game designer program to the VZ. And the VZ came with one graphics mode, 128 by 64 pixels in four colors. That was a standard VZ. The 6847 chip in there can do several other graphics modes with higher resolutions with monochrome and stuff like that but the you couldn't can't do that at all on the stand vz without soldering stuff on there mm. and you can use the multi-platform arcade game designer to port games that were made for spectrum and dragon and all of this into an emulator that does the higher resolution graphics or a vz that's been modified but to me it's not the same as the original no it, it's really so not. Commodore X16 has got 256 colors out of 4096, which is nice, but it's not the Commodore 64 that I had back in my day, so it doesn't have the nostalgia for me. I think this is a problem we had, we're had. saying too with the a lot of the mini consoles that are coming out that are originally on a CRT monitor. Yeah. You, you just don't get that, that... And even drawing the CRT lines. To, yeah. It's yeah, that's, just that's not the same. It. But you just don't get the same experience. Uh, you know... Uh, I have a couple of the mini consoles, but I find myself I very rarely play them because I actually, you know, I, I just go, this isn't what it's supposed to be like, you know. Yeah, I know the yeah. game's inside and out. And the problem is too, I think the hardware a lot of the time is actually running the game. Either the game's running slightly faster or they've tried to up the frame rate to look at, make it look smoother. But some of the tricks and techniques you got accustomed to doing, like in... in um, Super Mario Brothers, some of the little intricate, you know, secrets and stuff you get into, having a and real timings. hard time doing. Like I, I don't know if the timing's out of whack. I don't know if, you know, why, but it, it just doesn't feel right. You know, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good for them. I mean, keeping the oh, yeah. computers alive with the Ultra sixty four and the sixty four Mega, and I think there's another two, and then the X sixteen now that we're I'm aware of, but. For me, it's not the same as the original one. No, so. it's really not. It's really not. <laughs> it doesn't hold any interest for me, I'm afraid. No, not not as much as I thought. It. I, I, I really wanted to like them. I really did. But I prefer playing them on a MAME emulator because at least I can adjust them to how they used to feel, you know. So, 
Um, you don't have to unplug anything to plug it in. No, and you can, you know, if the game feels too fast or too slow, you can just tweak the settings to get it to feel the way you want it to feel. You know, I yeah. like the actual fact that you can actually see zero frame, like half frames in between frames sometimes when you caught the character in the right spot because there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't that particular graphic there for it. Or, you know, you could do yeah. stuff with that. And a lot of the VZ games, because they route the graphics directly to video RAM, would cause tearing and hashing and pixelating on the screen while stuff is moving because the VZ didn't write it somewhere else and then they copied it to video mm. rem when the raster was down below the borderline and all this like they do on the Commodore 64 all the time. But that just was how it was. So it feels like the right thing when I'm doing it on a real VZ and the emulators. I, I mean, there is one VZM that puts the hashing stuff back on the screen. <laughs> yeah. But it's still not the same to me. Um, and Osmo, just quickly, uh, yes, I have emulated a lot of the PlayStation stuff. PS1, 2, and... One and two and three. One and two, you can play on pretty much anything that's, you know, we used to have um, PS1 stuff running on like Pentium, uh, like 500s. So it's not a big deal. PS2 stuff's probably, you want to, you want an entry level um, twin core. PS3, anything probably in the last five years wouldn't have any trouble playing it ps4 stuff i haven't done myself i know a friend who emulates it he's got a yeah mid you know not a not a super powerful system probably a two or three year old system just a mid-level system and it plays it the same as the ps4 does i have seen some people play them um on really up-end systems and they do actually look better but that but, you know we're splitting hands do you want it to be playable or do you want it to look perfect there can be a massive system difference you can you can have fairly good looking game on fairly low bit of hardware but to make it just that little bit better requires 10 times the hardware performance so sometimes it's not worth making it look super amazing for that just that little bit of performance game you're going to get for the amount of hardware required to do it you know what i watched the other day an interesting video about crash bandicoot <laughs> finally finally what do you think really really good That's really interesting. interesting yeah it really shows just how outside and they're the like box we're of it. doing all this amazing polygon stuff and not bothering about textures because they just slow it down. Yeah, and we got like, what they say like six hundred polygons just for Crash because he was the most important character, and the rest of the polygons had to be squeezed into trees and rocks. Yeah, and stuff they only had like what was it eight hundred to play with or something. And we had to buy like six silicon graphics. Oh. What was workstations that? just to do the work on it. I couldn't believe that. They could, they... like, wireframe the technology on a Silicon Graphics workstation, which at the time was, like, there was that was it. Like, that was about the best thing you could buy. And they were, like, 10 grand each or something. Yeah, and they could yeah, only wireframe it if they wanted to actually... They couldn't real-time anything. They had to encode it and render it and then real, and then play it back. Like, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> it goes to show you how powerful the original PlayStation was when it came out, though. Yeah, yeah, they said none of the other stuff that was out was even doing real 3D. Some of them were doing kind of 3D and mm. um, 2D, we, 3D. Even mixed. a lot of the earlier PC stuff, like you had Ken's Labyrinth and you had um, the early engines, like the Doom engine, um, which was not 3D, it was multi-point 2D. You know, yeah. so even the earlier but no PC consoles stuff, did 3D even no. if they said they did. No. So they're the, like space harrier with sprites that start off small yeah. and then get bigger and blockier as they get close to yeah them. it was the multi-point oh, that's 3d multi-point 2d a lot of them you know that's sort yeah. of <laughs> but anyway we've bought every we've lost all our viewers again we do that again <laughs> we might as well start into our news then since nobody's listening no, no, right. we've got, we've got the instinct part out of the way now we'll do the boring <laughs> part <laughs> i still haven't no. got that yet that's still something i've got to do away eh? <laughs> <laughs> it was this week in old fat geeks <laughs> No, so medium, medium old fart geeks this time. Yeah. <laughs> Vivaldi, the browser launched by former Opera CEO John Von Techner, has lost, long positioned itself as highly customizable alternative to Chrome and Firefox for power users. Today, the team is launching version 3.0 of the desktop browser with built-in tracker and ad blockers, and it's bringing its Android browser out of beta. Now it's doubling down by integrating a block list powered by DuckDuckGo's Tracker Radar. Right. Like competing browsers, Vivaldi offers three blocking, blocking levels that users can easily oh, toggle on and off for individual websites. These blocking levels are relatively blunt, though, with the options to either block trackers, 
what trackers and ads or disable blocking. Competitors like Edge offer slightly more nuanced options for blocking trackers, though expect uh, Vivaldi will adopt a similar scheme over time. For the most part, the Vivaldi team always said that they would delegate ad blocking to extensions, though it added the option to block highly intrusive ads in the middle of last year. And while the company still notes that blocking trackers provides enough privacy protection, with today's update, it now gives users the option to block virtually all ads without the need to download any extension. As a Chromium-based browser, Vivaldi supports all the Chrome extensions anyway. As for the mobile version, which is now generally available for Android 5 and higher, the most important fact is probably that it exists, given how most users expect to be able to easily sync their bookmarks, passwords, and browsing history between mobile and desktop. As with other browsers, you can choose what you want to sync. Was it you who was first telling me about Vivaldi? I think so, a while back, yeah. I'd actually yeah. forgotten about it since then. Um, but it's interesting because they're using a the Chrome backend, um, people are having trouble implementing Chrome uh, Adblock on Chrome, so it's interesting to see that they can get away without putting it on. I'm glad to see DuckDuckGo as being a default search engine. Um, yep. <clears throat> I guess for the normal searches that people do, you're going to be hard-pressed to notice any difference. Um, yep. but there and they've is... got a list of um, trackers to block mm. that they get from DuckDuckGo, so that's good. Um, but there is, once you start getting into, well, to give you an example, that um, Facebook and Twitter have said they're going to start blocking anything that they feel is classed as um, conspiracy theory. Which like literally could be absolutely anything, depending on how you. <laughs> depends on the who's doing the blocking. Yeah, it depends on how you see that as a thing. Like, who decides what's the conspiracy? I mean, the government invented the term to basically cover up, you know, their own stuff anyway. But how, who is the one who says yes, it's a conspiracy, or no, it's not? Like, where do they? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so. A lot of but, those platforms always said, we're not here to monitor and block things. We're just providing a platform for people to do stuff on. It's up to you whether you want to read something or believe it or whatever you want to do. Which is true for some platforms. Like, um, now they're like, we're the gateway. You know, Minds.com you know, is a classic example of that where it's open and it's peer-to-peer -peer and you, there is no censorship on there. You can do whatever you want. Yep. But... <laughs> browsers uh, adhere to that sort of thing too. They're like, oh, we're open and we don't censor it. But it's very easy to prove that they do because you go to, go to DuckDuckGo, type in some things, and you go to Google and type in some things, and the results are entirely different. Yeah. It's not necessarily that the results of Google are better or worse. Sometimes it's, it's different. entirely different. There's not even... You can go through dozens of pages and not even find the same website. And yeah. yet some of the ones that DuckDuckGo Go come up with some of the most trafficked websites on the internet. So oh, it's, right. <laughs> it's not necessarily that they're not rating well. It's literally just the fact that Google, for whatever reason, has decided to ban them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. But no, there's, there's you know, Vivaldi is good. You know, obviously, um, Firefox and Opera are now on, on mobile as well. Um, they both now have built in VPNs as well. So yeah. there's. Um, Why not use them? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, as I always say, you don't necessarily need to use them for everything you do. And there's some things you definitely actually don't want to use them because it's <laughs> probably going to give you more trouble than it's worth, to be honest. Um, because especially if you think you try to use your banking or you try to use your login to Google, something that's expecting you to do from Sydney and then you're in Istanbul and it goes, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do have to be careful with VPNs, but they're definitely... Something I thought was interesting when I first started um, using Firefox, when you go to Facebook and it says, how would you like us to just run Facebook in its own little sandbox where it can't track you or see what you're up to on other websites? And you go, yes... And then from then on, any time you run Facebook, it opens its own little sandbox that's locked off from everything. Mm. Yeah, I had heard. I haven't done it myself. I don't use it for that. But um, I had heard that that was a thing that it could do. I do know that you can... Um, uh, what pro yeah, maybe it was that one. There was there was a program that, yeah, let your sandbox... Yeah, we could actually do it. To, you could force any website into a sandbox. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, they call it a Facebook container. 
I think you can do it on anything. Yeah. Um, and why not? Keep yourself private. They don't need to know what other websites I look at. Well, that's it. And that's the thing with most of the websites, not only the websites, the search engines, the browsers, they all, um, you know, they all track you to some degree. But um, the, there was a thing about, uh, well, now it's mandated by most ISPs and most governments. They're like, we need to access, you know, um, the data. So you need to hold it for six months and that way we can look at it whenever we want. It's like, well... No, that's not really. It's <laughs> not really um, how how this works, you know. Like, I, I get tracking data is fine. I mean, it, it really tells you not a lot of information. It tells you where you last were, what your next were, what your search history was, so that it brings up relevant ads and and stuff like that, you know. So that's, you know, that's fine. Um, but duck, the other reason I like DuckDuckGo is they don't, not only they don't track your data, but they don't they, they don't store your data because they don't track your data. They don't care where you come in from and where you're going to. They, they just don't care. Um, the only thing they do track is, they do track generic data, like they'll track which countries from and how much traffic they're getting, that sort of stuff. But they don't use tracking cookies and they don't stuff like that. So they, they can't sell the information... Um, you know, because they don't, they don't store it. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it's one of those. There's a new I, blog. Um, Peter Dutton proposes prison for people refusing to provide passwords. Can we put him in prison? Should do. Ask From the Sydney Criminal and... Lawyers website, if anyone wants to look it up. I had her. I mean, there's already a thing in place saying that if the feds ask you, you have to tell them. So. One of the proposals, people who were not even suspected of a crime would face a fine of up to $50,000 and up to five years imprisonment for declining to provide a password to their smartphone, computer or other electronic devices. Furthermore, anyone, an IT professional, for example, who refused to help the authorities crack a computer system when ordered will face up to five years in prison. If the crime being investigated is terrorism related, then the penalty for non-compliance increases to ten years in prison and or a hundred twenty-six thousand dollar fine. And none of this is enforceable, but yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> I got I got something else un, probably unenforceable coming up in another story it's, soon. Um, just quickly too in the chat, they're just saying uh, what's the best VPN? Best VPN is sort of your personal preference. For me, my favorite is Nord in terms of versatility and what you can do with it, the amount of uh, cross-platforms it works on. It works in a lot of routers, a lot of stuff independently. My NAS has a Nord plugin, so all the uh, all the external traffic to torrents and whatever all goes through Nord. So for me, it's Nord. I've tried several. I've tried uh, Surfshark. I tried... What's that other big one that they use? I had CyberGhost for a while, but it was annoying me, so I uninstalled yeah. it. You know, I, I've tried several of them. I've come back to Nord two or three times. I just find it, for me, it does everything I want to do. It does it cheaply. It does it quickly. The one thing I have never had issues with with Nord is my speed has never... No I mean, if you do a speed test, yes, you can tell your speed to slow down. But it's never noticeably slowed down to the point where I can't watch videos or can't stream stuff or, or whatever. It, it's just never been a problem. So that that's just my personal preference. But for me, it works perfectly fine. Um... There was one I was reading just recently. Someone's brought out a new um, technology for their VPN that's going to be twice as fast as the others. I'm just trying to find out where the story was now. Yeah, that's uh, all fine, Dan, to say that right up until the point where you get to, uh, you know, actually Nord. hitting the real world. NordVPN's own tests have shown a new system they've got called Nord Links. Right. Easily outperforms all the other protocols, IKEA, IKE V2, IPSEC, and OpenVPN. How much faster? According to NordVPN's 256,886 speed tests, when a user connects to a nearby VPN server and downloads content that's served from a content delivery network within a few thousand miles or kilometers, they can expect up to twice higher download and upload speed. It's got, um, they call it, First, the first mainstream WireGuard virtual private network. I was going to say, from what I understand, it's basically a P2P style network. It uses it for caching. 
Ah. So anybody who has it and has spare bandwidth, they, they don't store the whole file on your computer, for example, but they might store you know, a tenth or a fraction of that file and it basically just pulls it along. Like, If your internet's a bit slower and somebody else along the same string is faster, they'll yeah. drop packets off along the way to increase the packet speed to your premises and then grab the next one. They've only got to travel half as far with the next one. Uh, yeah. That's the way I understand it. Is it and they've <laughs> added in double <laughs> network address translation net system to protect their privacy. Mm. You know, nice. Nord, and that's what the one thing I was saying. It doesn't seem to matter. They've got thousands of you know VPN destinations where you can choose where you want to be. And realistically, it doesn't matter which one I choose. They all seem to be almost as far. Like I can go to the other side of the world. I actually get better speed tests using my VPN across the other side of the world than I do using a direct connection. <laughs> so says a lot doesn't it but um uh, i've just been been asked if that's whiskey and um if if that was whiskey i, I probably wouldn't be doing a show right about now <laughs> you'd have better things to do no not after the, that was that, well, that was that was saturday night so yeah you know <laughs> that, that's uh, his bottle for after he's drunk the whiskey it goes into there afterwards <laughs> no it's this one that's empty oh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so speaking of security update, Zoom. Um, you know, because everybody hates Zoom with a passion recently. Um, but Zoom adds data center routing security updates. Uh, teleconferencing app announced Wednesday that it has implemented data center routing capabilities for account administrators. Administ- admins? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe it is whiskey. Um, a key step in the company's effort to improve Zoom security. Uh, with data center routing, admins can choose which data center region their account hosted meetings and webinars for real-time traffic. It's meant to allow fees that Zoom chats and encryption keys were being sent to Chinese servers. Uh, furthermore, Zoom said the process of upgrade, it's in the process of upgrading to the AES-256 encryption standard um, compared to the, two, or the, sorry, the 256 GCM standard as opposed to the 256 ECB, which they're currently using. Um, has the ground, grounded security features and new security icon in the meeting menu bar and other tool for meeting host to report abuse. Uh, so, and then there's a few other bits and pieces of update as well. But yeah, no, I, I'm quite a fan of some of the updates they've been doing. Um, as I said, they've got the security tab here now where you've got all this all this information that you can you can get on people and whatever now. So, it's um, there's restrictions. They're they're definitely getting there. They've had so much traffic so quickly. Um, And it's kind of like the um, Windows versus Mac thing, whereas all the hackers were going after Windows for so long because everybody had it, but Mm. there wasn't so many people with Zoom, and now every news story is, Zoom is the best, everyone get on Zoom, thousands and hundreds of companies are getting onto Zoom. Zoom is, as hackers are like, oh, I wonder if we can start looking at something else now. Yeah. But I mean, that was the same thing. You look at Skype when Skype got popular, everyone, you know, they destroyed that. And then Hangouts come out and it got destroyed. And then Uvu got actually obliterated completely off, you know, out of security. You know, so, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things. But But you give them time and they build up the security again and everything's back tunky dory. Well, yeah. I mean, as I said, like, we use it that much. We, we, We have a commercial account, we pay for it. Um, you know, I'm happy to support them because they're doing a decent job and uh, regular testing of all the other ones still tell us that Zoom still outperforms the rest of them in terms of just constant reliability. Like, it's just, it's just a rock-solid... And not overly software. expensive for no reason. No, it's, it's, it really is quite cheap, especially for, for what it offers, you know. So, um, yeah, don't have an issue with it. Sonos launched its first audio service Tuesday called Sonos Radio. It promises free and exclusive music programming across a few dozen stations. Many of these stations will be supported by advertising, a new business for Sonos, which the company is entering at a time when the ad business is feeling the pressure of an evolving economic downturn. However, for Sonos, the radio service also represents a new opportunity to lean more heavily into product partnerships like its existing relationship with IKEA, and expand to new product categories, including automotive. As such, it's an interesting example for a consumer electronics company using services not only to generate revenue, but also as a way to expand its core business. 
Sonos Radio is launching as a new section within the existing Sonos mobile app on Tuesday. The section offers consumers access to existing radio streams from terrestrial and internet broadcasters, while also highlighting Sonos exclusive stations. These include the company's flagship station dubbed Sonos Sound System, as well as a few select artist stations curated by musicians like Radiohead's Tom York and Talking Heads legend David Byrne. The company's signature stations are being complemented by around 30 genre stations programmed by Sonos staffers with titles like Reggae Roots, R&B Collective and New Lords of Metal. These genre stations will feature some ad breaks, also in our sound system and the company's dedicated art stations will be presented without advertising. Beyond providing a much needed additional revenue stream for Sonos, the new radio offering also serves another function for the company. A free signature service like Sonos Radio makes it easier for new users to get value from a Sonos speaker right out of the box, making the company's products more approachable to casual listeners who may not yet pay for a premium service. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading one of the articles then. They're saying that um, as long as it doesn't end up like they're going to think about removing, well, English is hard, they're thinking about removing some of the services from other products to make it like a premium product. All right. Which, if that's true, isn't necessarily great. Once again, you're inadvertently screwing with people who, you know, (laughs) have been supporting you for years, <laughs> you know, and you take some of their stuff away and I guess they just want to get away from being just, we, we provide speakers for other people's stuff. Yeah. Well, that's right. You know, I mean, which I, I get, but don't, don't add a feature to one thing and take it away from something else. Just add the yeah. feature to the one thing and leave it on the thing it's already on. It doesn't yeah. have to exclusively be on one device. Multiple devices can have the same features. You mean more than one speaker <laughs> can do the same as other speakers? You know, like... Uh, but yeah. It's... um, uh, uh, it's Didn't they learn their lesson with... Who was it that a few weeks ago we were talking about? Who Was it Sonos? Who decided yeah, to so. screw they over all their own customers. Some of their yeah. speakers, they're not going to support them anymore. That's it. So They're like, yeah, just because you've owned it for 10 years, you don't get to own it anymore. Well, you can still own it, but you can't use it anymore. So You're just that, renting it. That, that's not how it works. It's not a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't hack your iPhone. You don't own the iPhone. You're just allowed to use it. We're letting you use yeah. it out of the coins of our heart after you pay us 1000 or $1,500. That's it. But you don't own it. You can't do what you want with it. I mean, I... I would have to imagine they would have a hard time given that Apple's been told that they can't, you know, they can't stop, well, they can't break their old devices. They can stop supporting them, but the last yeah. version of firmware they're left with, they still have to function. Well, didn't you say you've got a friend who's got like iPhone 3 or something still works No, fine? my sister, she's got the first iPhone. Yeah. The first one, and it's still on the first battery. Yep. But, you know, it, it now, I mean, it still technically functions as a phone, but it, none of the apps on it are updated enough that anything works. Like, you can browse stuff, but as soon as you got to even do something, you log, log into your bank, it goes, no, nah, this thing's too old, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, the device still functions. <clears throat> whereas mm. they were going to say... disable it. Yeah, they were going to say, well, these devices aren't going to function anymore. Here's an update, and too bad. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that. That's like, yeah. you're not allowed to do that. You're allowed to say, well, we're not going to well, support that device that. anymore. You know, so it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I give up. That is ridiculous, mate. I mean, it's like, the you know, it, the, I get that everything is redundant after a while and everything has a usable service life. But just because it doesn't meet the requirements that you need it to meet doesn't mean it doesn't meet somebody else's requirements. Yeah, you can know. still work as a Bluetooth speaker. I mean, what stops it from doing that? Yeah, I mean, I'm still using a, like the original Google Minis that come out. I have no Bluetooth problem. hasn't stopped working with Bluetooth 1, 2, 3, now that 4 and stuff is no. out. In actual fact, work. it seemed to have made the original Bluetooth even more reliable. Yeah. Because in my, in my Camry, the head deck is the factory head deck, and it's Bluetooth 1. Yeah. And... On my older phone, it was actually pretty flaky. Like, if you move the car, the phone this far away from the head deck, it'd start crackling and carrying on. 
my new one that's got Bluetooth three, I think. Um, I can be, I can have the phone inside here, and it still connects to the car. So <laughs> it's actually, even though the service itself is new, it's actually bolstered the original service that was there. Nice, you know. So that's that's not a bad thing that older technologies hangs around. Sometimes you see, like, look, look the original. How, how old is this original Raspberry Pi now? This has got to be pushing ten years old, eight years old, something yeah. like that. Still works, fine. and they're still developing software for it. <laughs> you know, like it might it might be redundant in terms of it's been replaced with newer versions, but they haven't forgotten about the old versions. There's still there's still XBMC Media Centers running all around the world off these things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, speaking of Internet of Things, because I actually completely forgot that was my next story. That was well done. I meant what a that. Great segue. <laughs> that was that was fully intentional. I meant to do that. <laughs> Um, IoT Home Hub's vulnerable to remote code execution attacks, just in case you'd forgotten to change your factory password. Uh, a range of smart internet of things, hubs commonly found in our homes and offices harboring services, harboring severe security flaws, researchers have found. Uh, they said three different hubs, the Fabaro Home Center Lite, um, the EQ3's Homematic Central Control Unit, and the Eco EP's ELAN RF03 contained, they just roll off the tongue, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> contained bugs dangerous enough to trigger remote code executions, data leaks, and man in the middle attacks. Um, it goes on explains them a bit. Basically, they it was also possible brute force the hubs to expose short, hard coded passwords stored in the firmware to create SSH backdoors without too much difficulty. Obtained full root access for device hijacking. Um, the password hard coded into the hub was easily accessible through the f- through the web interface. So, you know, this is once again because people don't change their passwords. This is all using root hard passwords and things like that. Um, and you can find a root password website that just yeah. lists all the devices and all the root passwords, and you can do a search for the name and the brand and model it's like here's the default if you want to hack into something go ahead here's but it's de- good because if you bought one off a guy on ebay and he did a factory reset yeah. and you're like well how do i set this up on my network i don't know what the default password is you can go to the website and look it up and not even not even that but some of them also have um like you get a lot of uh hubs and, and routers and stuff and they have different passwords like not each one's released in the factory with the same password but to make it possible for the factory to do them, a lot of the time they'll use a, a random series of numbers based on the serial number or something, and they've generally been, you know, reverse engineered by now. So you can put your serial number in, you get given this long string of things that's actually <laughs> the, the device's password, you know. So it's getting quite easy to find multitudes of, of default passwords now. Um, not that I can remember any of mine, but... Um, <laughs> P455... <laughs> W zero R D the the yeah exclamation the, mark secure ID four O T the <laughs> um the thing is that the don't I get and I guess too if you're playing with the device like this thing at the moment set up with uh, default passwords because I'm in the middle of trying a dozen different things every time I install the software I'm not going to dick around and just change the default settings because it's only going to be on there for an hour and I'm going to change it again. You know, but it's not running anything mission critical. It's it's just running a few trial things. So I guess it really comes down to what your use case is. If it's something that's mission critical or something that's attached to something else in your network that's accessible, then you probably should look at it. But in realistically, so much of the internet, of, you know, the, everything from these smart bulbs to whatever, all the internet, the technology stuff, the vast Web majority of it, that somebody is watching you in the lounge room. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's not so much an IoT thing. That's just a general hack thing. Um, that's it can be laptops. That can be you know anything. That one. But the average consumer is not going to have IoT stuff that's mission critical. Generally, some people do. There are people out there who have it running their home alarm and and whatever. But for the most part, it literally just like turns your lights on or you know 
adjust your air conditioning temperature. Like it, it's not generally going to be mission critical if something goes wrong. But yeah, there are. You get home, you might have to open a window. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like um, Back to the Future Two, where you know everything's. <laughs> you entire i mean it, it, some people do have that but it's not really mainstream enough for it to be a thing yet and that's part of the reason that some of this stuff is so easy to hack into because it's not it's not mainstream you know there there currently is no standard for home automation there's 12 standards yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know but there's no one standard that I, I started setting up home automation before Google Hub and Alexia and whatever else we have that's come out. I started setting up a... That's actually the original reason I bought the Raspberry Pi. Um, started setting up home automation. And I was using... I can't remember the program I was using now. And then there was all these promises. Once Google came out and over there, oh, cool, it'll integrate with that and they'll, they'll have an open API that we can access. And No. <laughs> So all this effort I put into the home automation to set up the air cons and to set up the lighting system and to set it can't use it yep. now. And the modules, the worst part is it's not just software. The modules I bought don't support anything other than that original piece of software. Ah, oh, damn. Oh, they supported two or three standards, but all these standards have gone by the wayside now because there's other standards now. So I've got hardware that's obsolete, not by design but just obsolete because nobody's using it yeah <laughs> and there's no way to make that hardware talk to the current software and it's, it's like uh, i mean home automation is not new i've been doing home automation since <laughs> probably the first big job i did was 2000 but i had done several jobs probably as early as 95 yep. the difference was back then it was predominantly all Analog with very few little digital tidbits here and there. Um, now it's the complete opposite. There's there's no analog in a home automation system. It's all digital. Yeah. You know. Um, but the problem is, this company does your door locks. This company does your windows. This company does your air conditioning control. This company does your like. So you've now got this problem where you've got four hundred companies controlling you know fifteen hundred different devices and they don't talk to each other. Yeah, <laughs> a bit of a pain. So, and then if you buy into one system, you get locked into that ecosystem and it disappears or something. Yeah, that's the problem. I don't mind supporting one particular group of guys, but allow your hardware to be have multiple different ways to access it so that if you go out of business or your software doesn't quite do exactly the thing I want it to do, I can then use it to talk to another piece of software or I can re-encode your device so that it can use two bits of software so that it can relay information from one to the other. Yeah. You know, that's the, it's all on an IC. It's literally 10 seconds worth of coding. You can't tell me they can't do it. No. The, the device, <laughs> like a lighting one, it literally triggers a relay that turns a relay on and off and turns the light on and off. Like, that's all it does. It just needs an input signal from whether it be Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or however it's getting its signal. It needs a one bit code sent to it to say this is what you're doing like, how hard can it be to make that one bit code be changed so that this person uses a this particular bits of ascii text this person uses this particular bit of ascii text like just change it and go okay well we're going to accept this format and this format <laughs> why not <laughs> i don't know but anyway yeah so basically the moral of the story is change your default passwords on yep. everything not just your IoT stuff on your routers, on your switches, on your Foxtel box, on your smart TV. Change the default password. <laughs> good news, good uh, advice for everyone. <laughs> over the speaking of stuff like that, over the course of the last month, Nintendo users have been increasingly reporting that their accounts have been getting hacked and access from remote locations around the globe, with some users losing money as a result of unauthorized intrusion. The account hijackings appear to have started in mid-March and have reached a peak over the weekend when more and more users started receiving email alerts that unknown IP addresses have been seen accessing their Nintendo profiles. Where the account's getting hacked is currently unknown. It's unclear if hackers are using passwords leaked in data breaches at other sites to also gain access to Nintendo accounts. Some users reported using complex passwords generated through a password manager, passwords that were unique to the accounts and not used anywhere else. 
This suggests hackers might be using more than classic credential stuffing, password spraying, or brute force attacks. Nintendo is yet to release a formal statement about the attacks, however. The company has advised users earlier in the months on Twitter and Reddit to enable two-step verification for the accounts, suggesting this might prevent intrusions. A large number of those who reported unauthorized access to their Nintendo accounts also reported losing money. In some cases, the hackers bought other Nintendo games, but in many incidents, victims said the hackers bought Fortnite game currency through a card or PayPal account linked to the main Nintendo profile. I saw somebody talking about this. I don't know whether it was on Reddit or Twitter or something, and they said they got a notification that a new account in a new um, login from China had accessed his account. So he quickly logged on, changed all the password, click on log out all the stuff, and he had a new unique password that was a lot of random characters and stuff. And then five minutes later, got an email, a new account has been added from China. A new connection from China has been made to your account. He's yeah. like, okay, so they don't have the password from any other website because I just created a new one right now and they got straight back into his account. I'm having the same thing with... I'm just trying to find one of the emails. I'm having the same thing with um, another... Not Westwood. Uh, who's the studio... Uh, one of the older ones, Ubisoft or something like that. But the same sort of thing. Uh, they'll send me an email saying, oh, you, some of you logged into your account from Vietnam. I'm like, no, I haven't. You go and change your username and password. Oh, you've logged into your account from Tokyo. I'm like, what's going on? Because <laughs> whoever's logging isn't doing anything. They're not yep. accessing any of my games because none of those have been downloaded. They haven't registered any games to any accounts because none of the registration keys are invalid. And they're not changing my any of my information. Or password or email or anything. So I don't know why. Two two reasons, two things. I don't know why they're logging into my account. And secondly, on the email I get from the company, it's it says, if this was you, um, click here to add this to a safe zone. And then, but what if it wasn't? It doesn't have a what if this wasn't you. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have that anywhere. Click here to block it in future <laughs> connections. <laughs> yeah. You'd think like most other, like Google and whatever, oh, we noticed this was issue or not. And you're like, oh, no. And they're like, okay, well, we'll just block that so it's not a thing anymore. Yeah. But no, not these guys. They're like, oh, well, if it wasn't you, too bad. But if it was you, you know, great. Let us know. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, it, it's becoming more of a thing. And some of it's not even nefarious. Some of it's just, just yeah it just doesn't make any sense why they're doing it i saw some guys had posted a account that was on a profile from twitter they took a screenshot of this girl saying i just want someone to care about me as much as google cares about extra logins into your gmail account <laughs> yeah pretty much it's just it's so weird i don't i don't understand what but, is the point uh, i mean i get you know, I understand why they do it, but I like it's the same as the thing with uh, the cookies. This yep. website uses cookies. Agree? Well, no, I or don't want to agree. go away. <laughs> well, if you don't agree, you leave the website. Like it's not an end or yep. question. It's 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 like you either agree <laughs> or you don't come here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know why give them the option to agree? Why not just say that? Why not just say well? Here's our what we do, take it or leave it, you know. It's so. just like those websites that say, click here to agree to see the stuff here that we think you probably shouldn't see. Yeah. Or click here to go away. Yeah, well, that's like Facebook. We've covered this image to protect you, but if you want to see it anyway, click here. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter is doing it too. It's annoying. Oh, is it? I'm scroll scrolling through replies and it says, click here to view replies, which may contain stuff that you don't want to see, but... <laughs> You disable that in the app so it's not supposed to come up, but it still comes up anyway because it ignores whatever's on the app. Oh, so does the autoplay thing on Facebook. Click, do not autoplay my videos. Oh, look, it's <laughs> autoplaying my video. Use standard definition where possible. Oh, look, it's playing autoplaying my video in high definition. Yeah, great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, guys. The one thing I wish they'd do is uh, on YouTube, I wish it would remember your video settings. <laughs> So, watching a video on YouTube, I'm using 4G, so I turn it down to save data, turn it down to 360, still perfectly watchable. Yep. Um, and then I come home. The next one. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. That, that app, 
yeah, it's exactly right. The next video is like what whatever the highest possible resolution is, and then you come home and it's sitting on three sixty. You're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> this is not how this is supposed to work. You got it all backwards, guys. Just remember the setting I set my YouTube one on my app on my phone. Remember that setting. Yep. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. That's what I want. Or if you really, really, really want to give me two options, give me a Wi-Fi setting and a non-Wi-Fi setting. Yeah, simple. <laughs> and then leave my home one alone. You don't need to change that. That just stays on <laughs> Max all the time. Like, <laughs> uh, tell you what, that's funny. I've I've seen there must be people doing YouTube videos recently who don't normally do them. Because I've been mm. watching some relatively new, like as in one or two or three week old videos, and some of them have been put up in three sixty at like twenty frames a second, and like they're obviously using, you know, some cheap iPhone one or some free app that they've downloaded that that's the default setting, and that's just what they've encoded <laughs> at. You know, like it's. <laughs> Oh, that they live in Australia and they can't afford to upload anything yeah, well, in higher resolution because it'll take them six weeks over their crappy internet. Connection. Well, there's a guy I was watching in Canada, and he's a bit out rural, and he was filming his videos during the week, and then one day a week he was driving into town and uploading them in town because it was, you know, his internet's so bad. But they're, because they're in lockdown at the moment, he can't do that. So he's releasing like five-minute videos because it takes him overnight to upload a five-minute video. So, <laughs> you know. But um, Tell him 360p. Well, Very fast upload. We put on Because he's been doing it all in 4K. Yep. Because that's just what he does. He's got all the... He said, well, why don't you just do it in 720? I said, 95% of your viewers aren't even going to notice the difference unless you tell them. And of those 95%... Yep. You know, the other ones who may notice and aren't going to really care, especially once you've told them what's going on anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's... But what's interesting, I was watching one of the guys I watch, um, Adam the Woo. Um, he, it's, he's a little bit older, a little bit... He doesn't quite do it the same now, but he streamed for basically six years. Or not streamed, he did a daily blog for six years every day. Yeah. <laughs> which is dedication I'll tell you um, so he doesn't quite so much do that now but um, he did a video um, was it last week I think I'm just having a quick look back through his through the things here I think he did a video last week and he was showing how he uses um, he uses his iPhone he records a lot of stuff on his normal um DSLRs and stuff that he uses, um, but then when it comes to actually editing the footage, he has a card reader that he plugs into his iPhone, and he uses his iPhone to cut all his footage together using iMovie or whatever it is. Apparently, you can do it all on that straight off an oh, SD wow. card, and then he uploads it directly to YouTube off his iPhone. So he doesn't even need to use a computer. That's pretty cool. Um, I didn't know that was a thing, but um, he that's what that's how he's been doing it for like six years or whatever he's been doing and um yeah you know you can just edit it and do it on the fly and if he needs to do a voiceover he can add a voice a voiceover thing to it and he can cut it and trim it and and everything all on his iphone nice so i have heard of people doing it on um on android as well but I've, it's just not something i've sort of ever looked into i probably should so I just got a. You can do um, this whole show on your iPhone. Yeah, I just got a uh, lapel mic, wireless lapel mic, so that oh, I can cool. plug my, I can have the mic on me and have my phone in a tripod and still record the audio. So I'm going to try that and see because that's the biggest. That's one of the things that's been bugging me for ages. If I'm not holding the phone right in front of me, the audio is garbage. So you can do your five minute news that way. <laughs> yeah, well, that's going to be a next year thing, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get five minutes worth of stories. <laughs> so. There's tons of stories about COVID. What are you talking yeah, about? I know, right? I'm thinking about this. So I've got a YouTube channel. Um, it's called the Social Media. And it's um, I haven't put anything on it yet, but I'm thinking <laughs> I might just start putting like every COVID story I can find. <laughs> just put <them laughs> just go the complete opposite and just do like everything. <laughs> COVID overload. <laughs> So, 
social media giants Facebook and Google will be forced to pay Australian media companies for sharing their content or face sanctions under a landmark decision by the Morrison government. <sighs> huh? Australia will become the first government to impose a legal regime, including financial penalties for digital platforms that profit from content produced by news media. Federal government has instructed competition watchdog the ACCC, who seems unable to be able to enforce any other kinds of laws like petrol prices or competitions, (laughs) to develop a mandatory code of conduct for the digital giants to adhere to. Writing in the Australian newspaper, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg said it was only fair that the search engines and social media giants pay for the original news content that they use to drive traffic to their sites. For every $100 spent by advertisers in Australia on online advertising, excluding classifieds, $47 goes to Google, $24 to Facebook and $29 to other participants. In Australia, this market is worth, worth almost $9 billion a year and has grown more than eightfold since 2005. An ACCC report found that more than 98% of online searches on mobile devices are with Google, while Facebook has approximately 17 million users who are connected to its platform for at least half a day. This has created a level of market concentration and power that was never envisaged by our regulatory system, Frydenberg said. The mandatory code would force tech companies to pay for the content they siphon from news media companies, share their consumer data and be subject to rules on the rankings of news on their platforms. Good luck with that, guys. But does that mean that they have to put rules in place of saying that media outlets actually have to produce real news? I mean, That's the, the thing that they don't mention, isn't do, it? Do you, do you have to pay a penalty if the news you put up wasn't real news in the first place? Like Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, I was reading there's another country that tried to do something like this, so Google and Facebook just removed them. Yeah. And now nobody can read, find the news because they're not going to go to smh.com.au and then search well, for news. They're going to type in what anyway. they want. Google comes up. Here's all the websites with the news. Click on it. Go there. I mean, it, you can't go to a news site these days anyway. It's all behind paywalls. Here's, here's so, your foot news companies and here's your gun. Yeah. I know. They've already, they've already made their own life difficult enough. By We're dying. We're know. dying. No one's reading the news. How do we fix that? Let's make it so they can't find the news to read. <laughs> That'll cool. make us get heaps of money. It's, it's just stupid. But, yeah, I mean, mind you, the Austra- somehow or other the Australian government's made it so that every, com- every company that sells the product in Australia has to pay GST even though they're not in Australia. Yep. I'm not sure how they managed to pull that one off. I think there's a certain retailer mogul who has a lot of horses, shall we say. He's got horses, but they've all bolted. That one to get pulled. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so weird. Like this, it's the thing with the um, they're going to try and forcibly install this COVID tracking app thing. And you read in the news reports it can't work on the iPhone because unless the app is running and the iPhone is turned on and unlocked, mm. the tracking doesn't work. Generally, how most iPhone apps work, really. Yeah, because yeah. the iPhone is so locked down that you have, if you lock your phone, it'll stop working. If you go to another app, the tracking will stop working. Yeah. And on the Google one, it's just uncheck the box that says allow apps to track my location. Yeah. It's, it's not that much more difficult, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <sighs> Australian government, lucky so spending. high in IT, so awesome, they just... Brilliant at everything. That's, that's, that's how we got this super fast NBN countrywide fiber speeds, one gig downloads for everybody. It's so well that you know they the, they can manage to maintain a stable connection to their unemployment offices. Oh wait, they can't get the census <laughs> to work. They can't get the websites see, for the, unemployment to work. Well, all this week the schooling, the whole online schooling thing, none of the websites have been working. It died, yep. And they're like, oh, hackers. They're always, as soon as something dies because they yeah, don't provide enough that. bandwidth or service for it, those bloody hackers are getting everything. They took over the census. They took over this. They took no. Well, if you'd use the pay version of, of Amazon instead of the free version, you might get somewhere. Your micro B <laughs> that you're running it on just shut itself, caught fire and exploded. It's all those index four or five systems that are still kicking around. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, dear. 
Dum 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 dum. Yeah, you know you can't That's buy it for me. You can't buy intelligence, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> so yep, no, that'll it's it's it really like seriously, guys. Like I can show you my screen. Like this is a news feed you know, app that we use. We use several different apps, but this is just like COVID, COVID, COVID. The last COVID. twenty-four hours, pretty much. Is where are we up to? That's uh, yeah, about there. So, so about five hundred stories. Now there's countries that are suing China for cutting into their economic revenue. Yeah, and like literally, other than the new Thunder Thunderbolt three and USB C connections that are coming out, um, basically these are all COVID. This is all COVID. There's a NordVPN story. Um, yeah, that's what I mentioned. How to increase your Shareholder relationships during the COVID, Motorola COVID app. So, so <laughs> you know, it it seems weird that we can't get tech stories, but because of this whole thing, you you can pick a story and you could go through it and filter three quarters of it out and have the story, but it's just so much work to find what they're trying to say, you know. So we just don't. <laughs> that's it for me tonight. That's it from me, and that's it from him. I think that's how it goes. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us, Glenn, Will, and Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com, 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows added each Friday. See you, guys.